Hi folks, welcome to part three of our epochs on Richard the Lionheart. Uh, Richard has gone to the Holy Land, marched on Jerusalem, failed, and then gone back and found that actually Jaffa, the port of Jerusalem, has been taken by the Muslims, and there are still some Christians left in there, in the citadel, barricaded in. And so this is probably my favorite part of Richard's entire life. <laughs> and so I've got loads of really good detail to go through on this one, because it's just brilliant. Um, I'm joined by Bo, obviously. And uh, where, where are we picking up, Bo? Yeah, no, just there then, when I suppose he gets news that Jaffa is being besieged or resieged. Yeah. Retaken, so he wants to re retake it. Yeah. Um, isn't a lot of his advisors say it's just oh, forget about it, it's not a good idea. It's well, not yeah. Worth it. Yeah, because I mean, what, so what happens is he gets word, and so he sails down the coast, and half of his army marches down the coast. Well, more than half of his army marches down the coast and they get intercepted by some Kurds or something. Uh, and so they, they don't make it in time. And so Richard just sails up with whatever contingent he has on his boats. And as they're approaching, it looks like all is lost because the Muslims have got their banners over the town. And so they're like, okay, well, there's just no point. And some bishop or priest like climbs down out of the citadel, drops the sand, just runs through the Muslim lines and swims out to Richard's boats. Mm. To say, no, 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 we've got like, you know, 500 men trapped in the citadel. And if you don't come and save them, well, obviously we're all going to die. And Richard, on hearing this, just essentially just throws a bit of a weird berserk tantrum. And he's just like, right, that's it. We're going in. And so his ship is the first to land on the beach. And he's just first out in his deck sandals with a <laughs> sword and a crossbow. And he just starts charging up the beach into the Muslims. It's one of these sort of unusual contested landings. Because in the ancient world, actually, most landings weren't contested because you didn't know where the hell the guys were going to turn up. But like they were all there on the beach and Richard went straight for them. And so Richard's uh, motley crew is desperate to try and catch up with him as he's there just rampaging through the Saracen lines. It's him and just a very small number of men to begin with. It's very, incredibly very small. small number. Can I read a bit from, yeah. ha from Harold Lamb? This, yeah, is, this is great. Um, if I didn't turn my thing off. He says, the red galley was the first to grate upon the sand. It lurched and rolled in the swell, while the Muslims yelled their hatred and the swarthy Italian shipmen crossed themselves and snatched up bows and axes. Richard gave no more orders and tarried not to bring any reason into the madness of this landfall. He jumped over the side, waist deep in the water. He still wore his ship's slippers and no other armor than a mail shirt and a steel cap. On his shoulders, he gripped a crossbow and his longsword hung at his side. Wading through the swell, he began to shoot bolts at the Muslims, with Peter of Priu and another knight beside him. When they came out of the water, they drew their swords, lashing about them under the arrows that the shipmen piled from the prow. Recognizing the king, the Muslims in front of him gave back hastily, while the English hastened forward to form a shield ring around him. Other galleys were running up on the beach, the crews casting beams and benches ashore. They caught these up and carried these forward, lugging small skiffs and riffraff onto the beach to form a barricade of swords. But Richard was not within the barricade. Taking a shield from a man, he ran across the beach to a post and gate in the wall and stair that he remembered led to the Templar's house in Jaffa. With his knights clattering after him, he leaped up the stairs and the Arab looters in the alleys yelled in amazement at the sight of this dripping figure that strode among them. Richard cleared the alleys and pounded at the gate of the citadel until the garrison became aware of him. By then his galleys held the beach and his men were streaming up the Templar's stairs. His banner went up on the tower of the citadel. The knights of the garrison took new heart at his coming. They sallied forth and began to drive the disorganized Muslims towards the gates of the outer town. Then Baha ad-Din, this is the Muslim chronicler who was with Saladin's army at the time, relates, Charging in a mass on our men, 
They drove them out of the town. The gate was so clogged by the fleeing that many lost their lives. A throng of pillagers who followed the army had lingered in some churches and occupied, occupied with deeds that should not be mentioned. The Franks forced their way in and killed them and made them prisoners. Uh, this all took about less than an hour. And afterwards, after driving the Muslims out of Jaffa, uh, we get a sort of um, tally of what Richard actually has with him. And it's a really, really, really small army. He has 55 knights, a few hundred men-at-arms, and 2,000 bowmen. Saladin has 10,000 horsemen. So Richard's outnumbered probably three to four to one, something like that. And he's not very well organized and not very well armed. So it's a good job for an hour in the morning. Yeah, I mean, because... I mean, think about what you just said there, where he jumps out first, yeah. runs in the city first, almost on, almost on his own, or with just a small, yeah. very small number, like a dozen guys or something with him. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. That's suicide. It's obviously not suicidal, but it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's sort of suicidal. It's, to anyone else, um, that would be suicidal. There's a story where Alexander jumps over a wall mm. first on his own. Yeah. It's that sort of level yeah. of, uh, yeah, the grey line between bravery and actual madness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Same with Pyrrhus at Eryx, where he's the first over the wall and he's throwing guys over the wall. It's like, you know you're in charge. Yeah. If you die, the whole thing collapses. Yeah. I've heard it somewhere, Chronicler, I think from the Muslim side, thought that they saw this happening and they mm. thought, well, that can't be it. It can't just be him. He must be the, just the, the vanguard of a much larger force. Yeah. He must be, because no one would do that. Nobody yeah. in their right mind would ever do what we're seeing is happening before our very eyes. So it yeah. must be, there must be thousands and thousands of more men sort of just out of sight or something. Yeah, we just can't but, see them. But it's not. No. Uh, and get from Richard's side, or from the, the Crusader side of things, um, it's like, again, like he's a tank or something. <laughs> or like he's absolutely convinced he's indestructible. Yeah. Um, you might have had it once or twice in your life when you're, I don't know, if you're in a fight or playing rugby or something, I don't mm. know, where you just, you're in the right frame of mind. You're just you're, in the zone. You're just, you're just in the zone and you yeah. think, no, nothing can touch me. Nothing can hurt me. I'm sort of untouchable at this moment in time. Of course you're not. No one is yeah. really. But if you're in the right headspace and you sort of live it, it sort of becomes true. He must have been in that frame of mind at that point, or but he just prepared to, be, to die. He seems to be in that frame of mind every time <laughs> an opportunity for a fight happens. Mm. Like whenever an opportunity for a fight happens, you you could you know accept it or decline it. And every time Richard has accepted it already and is already engaged, while everyone else is desperately trying to catch up with whatever he's doing. And this is just a persistent feature that everyone reports about him. So I'm going to agree, I'm going to accept that this is probably a historical fact. Richard was bonkers mm -hmm. and loved to fight. <laughs> just loved it. There's another thing where I've heard that um, for medieval knights or early medieval knights, uh, anyway, um, if you are completely covered up in your armour and you've got all your armour on and all mm. your plate mail and everything, you are in a way not indestructible, but it's very hard to actually take you down. And um, you can take knocks. And if you get unlucky, if an arrow or something goes through a particular chink in your arm or where the mm. plates meet, and it's you know, you're not indestructible, but you're close to it. Mm. But in that account, Richard didn't... He's just wearing a chain shirt. He didn't have all no. his plate mail, all the full gear on. No. So that doesn't even... You can't even say that. I, I, um, think, I think there's something about momentum that we're not counting here. Because I think 
when mo when you're moving, the, the, the people you're dealing with don't have time to line up the perfect attack or whatever, right? And so if you just keep moving and going forward and pushing them back and making them react to what you're doing, then you've got the initiative, you've got the momentum. And so you can kind of steamroll your way through things. And I, it feels that that's very much how Richard conducts battles, basically. Mm. Now, that's a massive thing. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, that's a massive thing, not just in battle, but also like, you know, in rugby or American football yeah, or something. Yeah, any, any competition. Having momentum has massively got the advantage yeah. of it. And yeah. um, there's accounts from all sorts of wars. Again, it springs to mind stuff from World War II, and the Battle of the Bulge, where sometimes someone would just sprint through the enemy lines mm. and then sprint back. And yeah. people, this is like a, a combination of their shock of what they're even seeing. Um, and that sort of can be enough sometimes yeah. that you get away with it because it's so over the top crazy. And no one's prepared. <laughs> like, because that's the thing, right. you have to be like, to, to get the message to Richard that people are still alive, you know, someone had to run out, just through all the Muslim lines and just get out. But if no one's like, oh, well, you know, uh, what, what's happened? Oh, you know, what's going on? Like, this is what momentum is. You know, when you're taking action and other people aren't prepared for it, then they can't meet it with anything. And honestly, it seems like that's how Richard just charges into everything. It's like, you know, I'm actually just going to just full on charge, swinging a giant sword. And they're not really going to be prepared for this thing. Like, yeah, I guess they're mm. not. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they're not. And I've seen it happen in paintball. Someone sprints yeah. through the enemy base and they've taken the flag and it's sort of too quick to react in a way. Yeah. And it's just sort of, it's, it's happened. It's yeah. just already happened. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that can happen even in modern wars with guns and stuff. Yeah. So um, let alone in, when it's just bows and arrows and sword, mm. sword play more often than not. Um, so yeah, that's just one of those examples where it's sort of, it's really well documented, well chronicled, yeah. that, inc that incident, that event. And it's chronicled, well chronicled by his enemies. That's right. the thing. It's um, mm. The, mm. Uh, the chronicler is Baha ad-Din, who's one of Saladin's chroniclers. There's, there's no, no reason they'd be like, oh yes, we're going to give a glowing write-up to this Crusader King. You know, there's no particular reason they'd want to do that. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that we get such a glowing write-up from them kind of implies to me that this is a fairly reliable account. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. But um, but anyway, so after this uh, quite stunning victory, because this happened in, he says, the course of about an hour. It's like, okay, great. So, you know, it took us days to take the city, and Richard's just driven us out of it in an hour. So we'll send some envoys to Richard, who's still in his armor and, you know, ship sandals. And he basically says to them, look, tell Saladin, I don't want to be the pharaoh of this land. What I want is just a church in Jerusalem that people can go to, um, which they do. But and that that buys them. I think it's like three days on the in on the beach outside of Jaffa. Um, and but on the third day at dawn, a contingent of Kurds begin attacking the Crusader camp. And this is what the Battle of Jaffa is in its entirety. Um, I've got quite a long quote, but it's so good. Um, and again, the, the source for this is the Muslim chronicler. Uh, so Harold Lamb tells us, The dim flashing yonder under the lightning sky came from polished helmets and men and horses that were moving towards the camp. The Genoese ran back towards the tents, shouting, Arms! Arms! Sentries called out questions, and the nearest sleepers roused. The Genoese ran on, stumbling over the ropes, and tall figures came from the tents to question him. An order was given, and the horn blared. Knights ran up, pulling male coifs over their head, and knotting sword girdles about their hips. 
Some of them had not stopped to don breeches or hose, and their legs shone white in the murk. King Richard appeared among them in full mail, his Danish axe swinging above his head. A horse was led up, and he mounted hastily. The quiet Earl of Leicester and his companions followed his example without ado. There were only ten horses, and in the darkness a man took what he found. Even, those, even these makeshift chargers, sorry nags, some of them, which did not know a lance from a cart pole, were, no better, were better than no horses. The sky lightened in the east, and with the first yellow of sunrise, men said that Muslims were advancing in squadrons, slowly. Either they had heard the Christians stir, or they did not like to charge until they could see something. Beyond the church, on the other side of the town, the horns of the Genoese and Pisans sounded. Rich, Richard had Normans and English with him. Under his sharp commands, they ranged themselves in a half circle, spreading from the church to the shore. The men of the outer rank went down on their right knees, holding their shields slanted from the ground in their left hands. Their right hands held lances, the butts wedged in the ground, iron heads pointing outwards. Between every pair of lances, a crossbowman took his place, with another standing behind him, to load an extra piece and pass it forward. So that's quite an interesting description of the defensive formation, actually. Makes a lot of sense. Your enemy is entirely mounted, basically. Okay, well, we'll form a, a shield wall, a pike wall, with literally like an early version of pike and shot. So we've got the crossbows very close. So the, when the horses and the Muslims repeatedly charge this wall, the men just have to stand their ground and shoot the horseman in the face with the crossbow. And then they get given another crossbow, they hand the other one back. And this is actually a really, really good defensive formation, which does instantly hold for the entire day. Mm -hmm. um, any comments on this? Yeah, well, again, it's sort of just a great moment, really. Um, everything that goes on at Jaffa is mm. sort of one of the great images from, yeah. from the Third Crusade. How well, from all the movie of this is crazy. Yeah. Anyway. Well, they wouldn't make it now because it shows us to be, well, yeah. <laughs> or the Europeans at least, the Franks, yeah. the Latins, yeah. to be brave and immovable and stoic and badass. Can't and, have an English king cutting down Muslims all over the place. Just can't depict that. Yeah, no. It's just not allowed. Um, yeah, so... Um, no, it's great because Richard knows he will have already made up his mind on some level that he's not going to be here for another two years, three years, or any yeah. time. He's got to go back yeah. very soon. Um, so he sort of needs to make a stand, make a point. Yeah. Um, he needs to bring salad into the table, mm. so to speak. Um, so it's sort of, you can, it's desperate though. Mm. I mean, we know that it holds and uh, it's sort of a, a bit of a semi glorious moment. But you, you don't know that in the moment. No. You, you might just be cut to pieces that day. No. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it would have been quite desperate, or very desperate, really. And you're outnumbered three to four to one by horsemen as well. So it's entirely likely you're going to get cut to pieces this day. Mm. And uh, Richard seems to enjoy the idea. Because <laughs> Richard, as he carries on, along, road their rank, along their rank rode King Richard. Outlined against the Red Dawn, they heard his voice. Stand fast, valiant men, do not give ground, the enemy are around us, and to flee is to die. His voice went away, and the Muslims charged with a sudden burst of sound and trampling hoofs on hard ground. They came direct for the red banner of the lion, and the crossbows whirred in their faces. The horses crashed into the spears, and the clatter of swords was heard. The charge did not break the sturdy spearmen, and the Muslims wheeled off. Other waves charged, but under the sting of the iron bolts, they turned and galloped along the front, plying their bows. Richard had not the patience to endure this for long. He led out his ten horsemen against the clans with spears down. Just say that that's wild. Like there are thousands of these horsemen milling around firing bows, and Richard's like, I guess there's a charge then. Yeah. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> there are ten of us, my lord. It's like, yes, I know. <laughs> I can count. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, 
He led out his ten horsemen among the clans with spears down. The heavier knights beat their way through the curds, and Richard found himself beyond them. Looking around, he saw the Earl of Leicester on foot, fighting with his sword. Richard galloped over to him and covered him until he could mount a riderless horse. The melee grew thick about them, and some Turks overthrew the Knight of Morleon. They were carrying him off as a prisoner when the king saw them and charged them, lashing about them with his great axe until de Morleon was free among his own men. The Muslims drew off, and the sun flooded the plain with light. For a while there was a pause while the two signs ranged themselves anew, and in this quiet an unarmed Turk rolled up, ro rode up, holding high his right arm and gripping in his left the reins of two fine horses ready saddled. He was allowed into the lines and led to the knights, whom he explained that the horses were a gift from Aladil to the English king. This is the famous, um, it's always portrayed as if Saladin has done this, but it's not, it's his brother that's done this. Um, but uh, he had seen, the Sultan's brother had seen that Richard was poorly mounted. Uh, and so, of course, his knights are like, look, you can't ride that. <laughs> like, this is obviously a trap. You're not going to, you, like, your enemy has sent you a couple of horses, apparently because of your dignity. You're not going to ride them. They're going to ride, they're going to carry you off into the Muslim lines and that's it, you'll be captured. And uh, Richard, for answer, swung himself into the saddle of one of the chargers and says, if Satan sent me a good horse this day, I would ride him. <laughs> Which is a great line. It's just mm. a fantastic line. Yeah. Uh, and so the battle carries on. By mid-morning, Lamb tells us that the battle is going badly for the Christians. Saladin's mounted bowmen drove at them at first, first in one place, then at another. The men-at-arms stood at their ground, but the galley men drifted back to the ships away from the missiles. Some of the Genoese ran into the town, and behind them the Muslim horse penetrated the gaps in the city wall. When Richard heard all of this, he rode back into Jaffa, taking with him two knights and a couple of archers. He dared not withdraw more men from the thin line of Normans and English. Trotting through the narrow streets among the fugitives, he came full upon three Turks who had bright comparisoning on their horses. He dug his spurs into the Arab charger and struck down one of the Muslims with his sword, knocking a second man from the saddle. The third fled, and the archers caught the two horses. Seeing the king, some seamen trailed after him, and Richard fairly cleared the streets with a growing queue of retainers behind him. This done, I just want to point out, just this is him personally doing all of this. Like, it's just madness. Absolute madness. This done, he seized the moment of quiet to circle down to the beach, sending his new followers to the galleys to rout out the malingerers. When the ships were cleared, he upbraided the throng, telling off five, uh, telling off five men to guard each vessel. Uh, with the rest, he went back into the city, mustering wounded and unarmed men to pile stones within the breaches of the crumbling wall. Then he led the fugitives out to the fighting line. Here he dared not rest. The Muslims were still attacking. With his dozen horsemen, Richard sallied out and broke up a charge. Still, he pressed on, his great sword swinging over his head. He left his companions and went forward, disappearing among the Muslims. Some Turks closed around him and he beat them off. A single officer charged at him with a gallop. Bending low in the saddle, his round shield raised and his scimitar swinging. As he came, he mocked those who hung back before the king. Make way, he shouted, O dogs, make way for a man. Richard saw him and wheeled his charger, rising in his stirrups to strike once with his sword. The long blade split the light shield and bit through the man's throat, turning against the bones of his chest. With the head, the Muslim's shoulder and arm flew off and his body dropped lifeless before the ground. And that's the end of the Battle of Jaffa, <laughs> according to the Muslim chroniclers. Because at this point, the others drew back before the Iron Rider who could not be overthrown. They shot arrows at him and launched javelins as he passed among them, but no man among, one man among many is no easy mark. 
From the whirling horses and the dust clouds, Richard emerged again into the view of his men, with javelins sticking in his mail and the leather comparisoning of his horse pierced with arrows. But no longer did the Muslims attack with spirit. Richard seemed to them invulnerable, and to go against his sword was surely death. They could not break the line of Christians, and when Saladin gave an order for another onset, his riders sat motionless in their horses and sullen. Snatching up his rein, the sultan rode among them, but their eyes were elsewhere. From the line of spearmen, Richard had appeared anew. Into the cleared ground between the Muslim and Christian lines he trotted, lance uplifted, and from left to right he rode slowly down the Muslim front, and no man dared to go out against him. When Saladin ch cried again for them to charge, only the Malik, his son, responded. When the old sultan, meant, when the old sult sultan motioned him back, some of the emirs laughed, and the brother of Meshtub shouted, Make your young officers charge, call them forth, who struck us the day of taking Jaffa, and the loot stole from our men. Saladin looked about him. He gave the order to retire, riding off with his mamluks to his own tent. I mean, if that's not the most epic thing a king could possibly do in battle, I don't know what is. Yeah. Like, it's Richard's personal charisma and fighting strength that intimidates the entire Muslim army into retiring from Jaffa. That's incredible. And the fact that there aren't, you know, a film every year made about it, I just don't understand. There's people sometimes where they've got an aura about them. Mm. Um, it's a bit of a crappy comparison, but sometimes in football, there's someone on the pitch, uh, quite often a midfielder, where it's mm. just everything they touch works, turns to gold, and there's this aura about them. Mm. Like you're not going to dispossess them. You're not going to take them down. Mm. Everything they do is going to be great. Um, sometimes, and you can see it. You can literally see yeah. it shining out. Yeah. Imagine that in war, in battle. It seems like at least that day, yeah. Richard, it was dialed up to 11 for him that day. And you are, you are right about the sort of aura of invincibility. And this is something that has to be broken before someone can really be defeated as mm. well. And there are so, you know, so many examples of this. Like Napoleon, like, you know, when we were talking about Napoleon, if it's just in the minds of the people that they're fighting that are... Mm, this guy wins everything. I'm going to lose this. You know, the question isn't if we're going to win. The question is how badly we're going to lose. And that seems to be what the Muslims at this point are thinking. Like, okay, I'm not, I'm not riding out there. Okay, Saladin is commanding his charge. It's like, well, that's great. He can charge. Get his little officers to charge. You know, go on then. Go and find out. You know, like, did you not see that guy get cut in half? I'm not going down yeah. there. That does remind me of one of the purest anecdotes where he split someone yeah. in half. Yeah. Um, but again, they say even in modern wars, even in 20th century wars, a certain guy mm. has got this aura about him that you just know he's going to come out of this war without a scratch. Yeah. Um, Which apparently Richard does. Yeah. Um, and it also seems that uh, to, to be, again, a bit like Pyrrhus or something, he knows it as, mu as much as mm. they do. He has bought into... His own, the, the, the thing itself. Um, yeah. Because, of course, there's nothing physically stopping an arrow or a bolt or someone from, if enough guys charged his horse and surrounded him, eventually they would get yeah. a blow in that would do something. Yeah. He's not invincible. They just need to okay. wound him. He's not know? invincible. But the psychology of it mm. on both sides is, um, yeah. yeah, the thing of rising up and down. Another thing I would say is that where he turns up at Jaffa and, um, very quickly, like so, within an hour, and um, turns the tide of it, and then goes on to basically win it. Yeah, 
Um, that is exactly the sort of thing that you would get the highest awards for gallantry for. Like if there were a VC, he, but, but he could award himself a VC. Yeah, but that. who's going to award the king uh, an order, a, a yeah. medal of gallantry? Yeah. He's the guy who gives the awards out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's medal of honour stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you just can't be recognised anymore for, mm. for showing dash and bravery in the face of the enemy. Well, there's not much um, more he could have done. No, right, yeah. <laughs> well, riding up and down their line, yeah. basically um, goading Sa anyone, daring anyone well, to have a go. But I while mean, Saladin's angrily crazy. commanding them to charge, mm. and Richard's just like a little prick riding up and down, <laughs> you twat, you know? It's like, okay, you know, he was just covered in blood. It must be infuriating. It must yeah. have been infuriating for Saladin. Yeah, yeah. And humiliating for all the sort of great warriors on their side that they mm. didn't have the guts to charge out well all the great warriors were probably killed maybe yeah like yeah. you know the, the actual great ones the handful of great ones in each army well richard's probably slain these already you know the, these are the sort of like sensible warriors who are like yeah we're going to charge if we're going to win but you know also even in the modern day there you have examples of things like this mm. um in um in lawrence arabia's seven pillars of wisdom there's one yeah. of the great bedouin warriors in his own lifetime Bedouin raiders, warriors, Alda, Alda Abu Tayyi. And um, that's the same thing. If he, mm. sometimes he will sort of dare hundreds of guys to come and attack him, and no one does. Everyone's, all their eyes are down. Yeah. Because it's Alda. Yeah. You don't, he's, yeah. you don't try it even. Yeah. Um, and he knows it. He's possessed with his own greatness. Yeah. Yeah. And it shines out of him. Mm. And, uh, and so that, again, that's in sort of the 20th century. Mm. So in the 12th century, uh, it's just great. It, it, no wonder historians say that there's a, a romance about Richard mm. and the Third Crusade. Mm. It's stories like that. Yeah. And although that is probably one of the greatest anecdotes, there's loads of them, aren't there? Yeah, I mean... That's not the only time he did things like this. No, no. He, like, there was another one that Harold Lamb uh, documents where Richard, just for some reason, goes hunting it, like for a week or something out into the desert. And so he's there with three guys and they get swarmed by you know, hundreds and hundreds of tribesmen. And so one of his knights says, oh, I, I'm the king of England, by the way, not that guy over there. And so they kill him and Richard manages to get away. It's like, that was really reckless, Richard. You know, you lost a good knight there. Yeah. You know? he, but he does this sort of reckless stuff all the time. It's incredible that he doesn't get killed. Yeah, yeah. A again, people that do this sort of stuff in wars, mm. um, eventually it, their luck runs out. So there's loads and loads of examples. If you read the, uh, the dispatch of people that win Victoria Crosses, I'm thinking, because I've read loads and loads of them, most of them, in fact. Mm. There's only like a, a thousand or so. Um, and lots of Medal of Honor descriptions of what the action was. And certainly from World War I, someone will do something like that and get away with it. Mm. Maybe they'll do it again and get away with it again. Don't they try it again and they get killed. Yeah. Um, so no wonder Richard, I mean, well, Richard's luck runs out in the end. It um, does, yeah. But um, it, it, even with this, this aura, this sort of almost visible aura of invincibility, eventually mm. fate or just physics will, will, <laughs> will, uh, will call your bluff uh, if you keep doing it. But the, the, you are right, though. There is, there is something about the sort of, I can only imagine it's just, I mean, Richard was obviously an adrenaline junkie. 
you know, he was obviously some kind of adrenaline junkie. He loved mm -hmm. taking risks and he obviously got a thrill out of taking the risks. And 99% of the time it paid off for him actually, because it turns out that he was a giant, amazing warrior. And so that's a very fortunate thing. And so, yeah, he can just charge through Jaffa basically on his own, hacking up Muslims and clearing them out. He can go essentially scare off the entire Muslim army personally, you know, after cutting their best warriors in half and stuff like this. But, you know, that, that yeah. And you, but you can tell like, there's going to be this just, you know, massive surge of adrenaline that's just constantly pumping through him at this point. And everyone else is just kind of like, you know, like it's sort of like the serotonin thing, isn't it? And the lobsters, mm. you know, like John Beeson talks about. Like the other ones, okay, no, 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 okay, fine, all right, calm down. You know, just, you know, we're not on your level at this point. You know, we're not, we're not up for this. You know, this is not what we signed up for, you know. It's that thing also, if you've got any doubt in your mind, he obviously hasn't got any doubt in his own mind. And if you've yeah. got even the shred, yeah. the shadow of a shred of a doubt, mm. that's it. He's sort of won the psychological battle against you. When yeah. you see it sometimes in like a riot, perhaps, or something like that, there will be one guy yeah. that's just sort of knocking out person after person after person, <laughs> you know, um, and you see that and you're like, well, I'm obviously not going to yeah, yeah, yeah. go against him because yeah. obviously he's yeah. like a, a monster. He's a tank. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think chart. you're right. I think you're right. It's Because uh, like, at some point, it, I, I'm what I'm guessing is the kind of spirit of it kind of overtakes you, right? And so... You're no mm. longer thinking about dying. That's not a fear. Now you're just thinking about how do I overcome the guy in front of me? And once you're in that sort of zone, the other guy who is thinking about dying, well, mm. I mean, you know, he's in trouble. And if the, the only thing that's going to stop you is another guy who's in that zone, and it'll just be like a titanic clash, which I can't even imagine. Really. Yeah, Richard has engaged his berserker mode. Yeah, basically. Berserker mode on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's another bit in Seven Pins of Wisdom where there's one night raid where there's a running night battle. Mm. And T. Lawrence says, it's a great line, an incredible line. He says, he says, that night it felt like no matter how many people died to the left and right of you, it felt like I couldn't be touched. Mm. And he says, and other people's lives were like toys to be broken and thrown away. Mm. And he's, you know, he's not normally like that. It's extremely humane, sensitive. like really yeah. over the top, humane, sensitive, well-read mm. type person. But when the 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 rush is on you, yeah. when your 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 war madness is up, um, other people's lives are as of nothing to you, and you cannot be touched. Even though, you know, on some level, you know you can be, and people are dying just to the yeah. left and right of you. But that's the headspace you're in. Yeah. Um, in that moment, it isn't you, and so you know you're yeah. you're the main character. Yeah, right. For, yeah, for main short, character yeah. syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh. Right. Yeah, and for 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 the Battle of Jaffa, Richard is definitely the main character. <laughs> yeah, and that, the idea that we read 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 there that he from their side mm. he just looks like this indestructible thing. Yeah, he's just a demon. We've thrown everything at him. Yeah, and it's just not doing anything. Yeah, he's just cutting down everything that goes near him. What do we do? Uh, I guess we just retreat then. It's great stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great Sal stuff. Saladin apparently is raging, mm. you know, yelling at his men, furious. Because, I mean, he's got, you know, thousands of men there. It's like, there's one guy. Come on. There are thousands of us. And they're all just like, nah, I think we're okay, my lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, yeah. Really, don't really feel like it. After you, if you want to have a go. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. uh, yeah not, not for me, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no way. Yeah. Um, and actually, this um, event, 
the sort of the retaking yeah. of of Jaffa politically for Saladin is a real blow. Yeah, yeah, it's a catastrophe, right? Yeah. Um, his power base or his authority, should we say, mm. is uh, sort of f fairly mortally wounded. Mm. Um, whereas we said in the last one, didn't we, that his is a well, they're on both sides, it's some sort of coalition effort, but his his power base is a a collection of different things. It's mm. not just like one tribe that will follow him, come yeah. what may. No, he has to sort of command authority, yeah. and this sort of breaks it a bit. Well, I mean, it, it breaks it almost completely. That's the problem, is it? Like, because Richard, even if Richard were losing battles, Richard could at least say, "Look, I've been divinely ordained as the King of England by God Himself, and I recognise no higher authority." So there's a moral imperative for people to recognise Richard as the king. Saladin doesn't have that, as we covered last time. Saladin rose to power through cunning and success. And if that's undone, he has no moral legitimacy other than, I am the guy who won. And he's not winning. In fact, he can't even get his army to attack. And both sides, you know, the Muslim side, think this as much as the Christian side, is that um, God intervenes on the side of the righteous. Mm. And sort of, if you believe that, then God is obviously on Richard's side. It's hard to argue. It obviously <laughs> is. Which I mean, means he can't be on your side. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why, why is God giving him all of this power to just crush us like this? Mm. Like, hmm. Mm. What do you reckon, Saladin? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Shut yeah. Up. We're going home. <laughs> um, okay, so should we move on with the narrative yeah, a little yeah, bit? Yeah. So, I mean, so from there, Richard still does sort of need to get going home. Yes. Though, because he gets intelligence from Western Europe. Yes, that Philip and John are currently basically stealing everything he has. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.